morning, everyone. The scripture reading this morning will be taken from 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, starting with the ninth verse, and we'll go to the eleventh. So 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And this morning I'll be reading from the ESV Bible. Or do you not know that the unrighteous Stop. And it is on page 955 in the Red Pew Bible. I apologize for that. But let's read. Starting with the ninth verse. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye were washed, ye were sanctified, ye were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. May God add a blessing to the hearers and the doers of his word. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I know we've got a number of visitors. We're thankful that you are with us as well this morning. Thanks for coming to worship God with us. Um, As you heard, Angie and the kids and I were in a car accident on the way to services this morning. We're all physically fine, just a little shaken up. Uh, Lady ran a red light and caught us in the front of our minivan. So anyway, uh, but we're thankful that everybody's okay and the lady that, that, uh, that caused the accident's okay as well. Just a delay and I'm sorry for those that were expecting to hear Isaiah 53 in the auditorium, but Ray did a great job in the Bible class, didn't he? Uh, I got to hear the last part of it, and uh, even though he wasn't teaching Isaiah 53, he was teaching the class that he had intended to teach, but thank you, Ray, for filling in. I appreciate that. Um, Today is the last day that the entire David Simmons family will be with us. Uh, You know that David and Becky and uh, Charlie and Sybil are all moving to Tennessee and uh, we wish them well. David has served as one of our deacons for a number of years. David and Becky have been dear friends to all of us and co-workers in the gospel and we're thankful for you and what you've done among us and we look forward to seeing you as, as we said last week with the LaBeoufs that Christians don't say goodbye, we just say see you later because we're all going to see one another again. And so uh, we wish them well. And then also keep in your prayers, Alex and Laura Lee Simmons. Uh, They are moving to Austin this week to begin their studies at the Southwest School of Biblical Studies. Uh, It's an intensive two-year preacher training program. Uh, Both of them are going to be excellent students, as you can imagine, and we are going to be supporting them as a congregation. Uh, You might ask them this morning if they have all the support that they need, because last I heard there was still a little bit that they needed. And if you wanted to, on a personal level, help either of them, you're more than welcome to do that, but might ask and check with them. But we wish them well as well, Alex and Laura Lee. We're going to miss the Simmons family. As you think about the gospel, we talked last week about how the gospel is made up of facts and commands and promises from God. And we are not allowed, we are not permitted by God to change the message. The things that God has said to us, those things are 
unchanging, unchangeable. But it's also true that when we come into conflict with the gospel, when something about my life does not measure up, does not line up with the message, the message should change us. And as we spend time thinking about God's word this morning, I wanted to focus on that idea specifically. We don't change the message. We talked about that last week. But the message is supposed to change us. A quick outline of what the gospel is, just mentioned a moment ago. The gospel is made up of facts to be believed. When people talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are some historical things that have been done by God. And those things are facts They are realities and we must believe those things. The fact that Jesus came to earth, that he was born of a virgin, the fact that he he grew up in this world, that he died for us, those are facts and we are to believe those facts. The facts about who he is and what he has done for us. But not only is the gospel made up of facts that you and I should believe, commands are given to be obeyed. We're gonna be talking about some of those this morning. God, as he communicates the gospel to us, doesn't just tell us a story so we can say, those are great facts, God. But God says, here is my will for you. This is what I want you to do in your life. Facts, commands, and then the gospel gives us promises to be enjoyed. The God of heaven, friends, the God of heaven makes promises to us. He tells us that if we will come to him and accept what Jesus has done for us at the cross, that he will save us from our sins. That's a promise. That he will raise us from the dead one day. That's a promise. That he will take us home to live with him forever in heaven. That's a promise. And the gospel is made up of facts, yes, commands also, but promises to be enjoyed. And if we start to try to communicate the gospel with someone, we must remember those three components of the gospel. Facts, commands, and promises. The message of the gospel is given so that you and I will be different, different than we are right now, so that we'll live differently. And as you think about what is supposed to be different in our lives because of the gospel, let me share with you three broad areas this morning. This is not exhaustive, but sometimes people ask the question, you know, if I become a Christian, If I were to obey the gospel, what should be different about my life? What's the difference? What what changes in our lives? Let me suggest to you first this morning that when we obey the gospel, when we come to God through Jesus Christ, that our beliefs ought to change. The gospel changes what we believe. Beliefs are very important. We live in a world that says it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't really matter how you choose to live life. And the gospel says, yes, it does. It matters what we believe. Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want you to notice verses 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. It matters what we believe. And when the message is in conflict with what I believe... I am not supposed to change the message. The message is supposed to change me. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now watch in verse 5 of chapter 10. It says, We are casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 
The passage is saying that spiritual warfare involves bringing thoughts captive, ideas captive to the obedience of Christ. You see that? What we do in proclaiming and preaching the gospel to others is we are trying to shape and transform people's beliefs because being a Christian is about what you believe. And when the gospel comes into conflict with my beliefs, my beliefs ought to change, not the gospel. It wars against our thoughts and our ideas. All the ideologies and all the isms and all the notions that people have, those are transformed by the gospel. In Philippians 2.5, the Bible challenges us to have the mind of Christ in us. It has to do with his attitude of humility, of submission, an attitude that says, your will be done, O God, not mine. Matthew 26, verse 39. The gospel changes our beliefs because it changes the way we look at life. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? When someone doesn't believe the gospel, they may or may not give much credence or weight to their soul. But when we do come to Christ, when we do believe his words, we come to realize that a soul is more more valuable than the entire world. That's the way Jesus taught. And therefore, we ought to be more concerned about souls than anything else. It produces a concern for souls rather than riches. The gospel transforms us by the renewing of our minds. That's what Romans 12 and verse 2 teaches. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, it's about what we believe. The Bible teaches that we ought to have a concern for what God thinks rather than what pleases men. Galatians 1 verse 10, do I now please men or do I please God? If I sought to please men, I should not be the servant of God, Paul wrote. When it comes to how we live our lives, when it comes to the beliefs and the convictions that we have, The gospel changes us in such a way that I want to please God. I'm I'm concerned about his opinion and I'm concerned about doing his will. And I want to believe in my mind and in my heart the things that the Bible teaches are true. The gospel changes our beliefs. Where do you find your deepest source of significance and meaning? Where do you find what really makes you you and what makes you valuable? The gospel will change that. The gospel will change what we think makes us valuable and important. And the way it does that is by saying things like this. You, in learning Christ and coming to him, you are complete in him. Colossians 2 verses 9 and 10. You find your wholeness, your your, your fulfillment in who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And we can find our significance, not in achieving some great thing in this world or not in how we self-identify, but our real significance is found in the fact that we belong to Christ. The gospel, brothers and sisters and friends, it changes people's beliefs. It changes the way we think. And even those of us who are Christians, when we come to Scripture, listen carefully, when we come to Scripture, we ought to have an attitude of humility that says, if this book tells me something different from what I believe to be true, I'm going to go with this book. Regardless of what some preacher teaches or regardless of what some friend or relative says that I trust and I, I believe they know what they're talking about, I'm going to believe what the Bible says and I'm going to do what the Bible teaches I ought to do. The gospel not, the gospel changes us, we don't change the gospel. It changes our beliefs. 
Second this morning, as you think about areas that the gospel transforms the change that takes place in our lives, brothers, sisters, and friends, the gospel changes our words. The way we speak is changed by the gospel. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. I want you to think about this as we talk about the gospel changing the way we speak. But when somebody becomes a Christian, we talk differently. We speak differently. First Peter four verse 11 commands us to speak as the oracles of God. If you're gonna say things, if you're gonna teach things, teach what the Bible says to be true. Speak as the oracles of God. Speak in the way that God would speak. But look at Ephesians chapter four and notice verse 25. The scripture says in Ephesians 4, 25, therefore put away lying, Christian, and let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. When we become Christians, our speech changes. We stop lying. Stop lying to people, stop lying to our families, stop lying to our employers. We're not going to lie anymore. And then if you look in the same context down at verse, uh, chapter five and verse four, Ephesians chapter five and verse four, do not let filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, don't let those come out of your mouth, but rather giving of thanks. When we become Christians, the way we talk changes. Not gonna lie anymore. I'm not gonna be involved in filthy talk anymore. I'm not going to jest in a way that is rude or crude or tears people down anymore. Put away those things because the gospel changes your words. Ephesians 4.15 and to begin Ephesians 4 verse 25, we are to speak the truth in love. The gospel will transform how we speak. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. We need to think about that. Whatever I'm saying to others, whatever comes out of my mouth is just a picture. It's just a reflection of what's really in my heart. And not just what I say, but how we say what we say. That is critical. What's in your heart? Ephesians 4, 29, Colossians 4, verse 6, teach us that we are to speak gracious and edifying words to others. The Bible changes how we talk. The Bible, the gospel changes the way we speak to others. That needs to be a critical component of what it means to be a Christian for us. You can't just go around saying whatever you think, whatever comes to mind. It changes us because we wanna be like Christ and no one ever spoke like him. John chapter seven, verse 46. Jesus challenged us in Matthew 12, 36 to remember that God will judge every idle word that men will speak. We give an account for it in the day of judgment. Again, the scriptures teach that the way we talk is different because of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. A question for us to contemplate along these lines, are my words pleasing to God? In Psalm 19:14, the psalmist prayed, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. I've always been fascinated that it's the words of his mouth and the meditations of his heart that he prays about. Let those be pleasing to you, God. And if you look at what Jesus said back in Matthew 12, 34, isn't it interesting? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Are my thoughts pleasing to God? Are my words pleasing to God? James 3, 9 through 12 tells us that the same fountain does not give two different kinds of water. We need to think about how we talk because the gospel changes that. 
So when it comes to my beliefs, my ideas, my ideologies, my convictions, it's not me that changes the message, it's the message that changes me. When it comes to the way I speak, it's not me that changes what the message gives, it's the message that changes the way I speak to others and the way I speak about others. And most of all, the way I speak about God and to God. The message changes us. And then third, as you look at this this concept of the message changing us, the gospel brothers and sisters changes our behavior. It changes the way we live. Lives are changed. The Bible talks about repentance as being an essential part of becoming a Christian. And repentance has to do with a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change in behavior. Everything changes. That's what repentance is all about. Open your Bibles to the passage that was read just a moment ago. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, and I want you to look at verses 9 through 11. When the Apostle Paul wrote to his Christian brethren in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, he talked about their former lives and then their current lives. He talked about those things. And he talks about the behavior change that takes place. Again, it says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And then look, he makes a catalog. He's not trying to single anybody out. He's just giving you an idea of what it is that changes when we become Christians. He says in verse verse 10, neither fornicators, or excuse me, verse 9, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and says, and such were some of you, verse 11. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He's talking about a historical event, something that took place in these Christians' lives 2,000 years ago. Some of them were given to homosexuality. Some of them were drunkards. Some of them were thieves. Some of them were extortioners. And these people heard the gospel 2,000 years ago and they changed their behavior as a result. The way that they were living their lives because their hearts and their minds had changed, their lives changed. They were different because the gospel makes people different. I'm not going to live that way anymore. In 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 9 and 10, the passage is on the screen there. Paul wrote to his brethren that they had turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, in Thessalonica, when he wrote those words, they lived in a place that you could see Mount Olympus. You remember where the Greek gods supposedly lived? All the Greek gods lived up on Mount Olympus. There really was a mountain called Olympus. And so in Thessalonica, you could look up on a clear day and you could see Mount Olympus. And those people had grown up in that society. But the Apostle Paul says in verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians 1, he says, you turned from those idols to serve the living and the true God. You changed your behavior. You changed who you worship. The gospel changes how we act, how we react, how we respond to God and to others. What should we do as we think about turning from our lives that were disobedient to God, that were immoral. The Bible says we ought to pursue love. First and foremost, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, the kind of love that gives and sacrifices for the good of others. We're to pursue that. 
The Bible says that we are to seek peace. We are to be peacemakers, Matthew 5, verse 9. We are to pursue peace and holiness without which no one can see the Lord, Hebrews 12 and verse 14. We are to be, as Christians, zealous for good works, Titus 2, 14. Think about that. My purpose now that I've become a Christian is to be about love and peace and good works as God defines those things, as God describes those things. I'm supposed to be all about those things. The gospel changes the way we live. We are to worship the Lord our God and him only are we to serve. Matthew chapter four and verse 10. The gospel changes how we act. It changes our behavior. Included in that is the fact that the Bible teaches, the gospel teaches that when we come to Christ, all of a sudden we're part of a family now. And we are to give priority to the people of God. Do good to all, it says in Galatians 6 verse 10, but especially to those of the household of faith. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but to exhort, encourage one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. The gospel changes the way I live. It changes my lifestyle. It changes who I worship and how I worship. It changes all of those things. We don't change the message. That's not our task. That's not our role. And that is the height of arrogance before Almighty God. Rather, His message, His word, His gospel, those facts, commands, and promises, those are given to change us. What's changed about your life because of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What's different about you because of the fact that you belong to Him? That's a question well worth contemplating. Our beliefs, our words, our actions, are those things different because we are New Testament Christians? Maybe you're here this morning and you need to obey the gospel. Obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ begins with confession that Jesus Christ is God's son, repentance of sin, baptism for the remission of sins. When we come into a relationship with God, the gospel keeps on transforming us, keeps on changing us. If you're ready to make that commitment this morning, or if you need to respond and you'd like to ask for prayers, won't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing?